welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. It's 6 p.m. March 15th, 2018, and we're live on Bay of Islands Radio, broadcasting from Monsita Mi'kmaq Territory in what is now known as Western Newfoundland. We're also live at facebook.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. It's great to be here in the BOIR studio on a beautiful day in Elmastuquake. Wet and windy this morning, sunny this afternoon, and people have a smile on their face. So perhaps the creator has a, an early spring in mind. So thanks in advance for that. Our guest this week is Keith Golding, band manager for the Halibu First Nation. Welcome, Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to finding out from you, Keith, uh, new information about the uh, about the urban reserve. Much talked about, um, but um, it's uh, it's taken a while. I think it's fair to say to uh, for things to move along. So I I want to talk to you about that. Right. But um, I want to talk about you a little bit first uh, as um, as band manager uh, and what that role entails. On the Halibut website, I count about 40 people, staff. So I suppose we can think of you as the head of the civil service uh, for, yes. for Halibut yeah, right. in, in government terms. I usually put it, yeah, the top-ranking civil servant, I guess, for Halibut. Yes, because Halibut is a government, and um, I guess it's even more more of a government than uh, than the cities because cities are just a creature of the province and the province create those but uh, of course a first nation has constitutional standing so it's a it's a big deal yes absolutely and um and we also have the the halibu uh development corporation uh right. the um uh, i guess we call that a, an arm's length uh, part of halibu the the profit making uh, companies and how many of those companies are there at the moment? Well, the Halibut Development Corporation (QDC) uh, is the umbrella corporation, and that right now is primarily a property management company. But there's just seven companies all together that make up the, the Halibut Group of companies, as it were. Right. And you've just hired a, um, a manager for QDC, and um, those seven do they do they make money? Uh, those those seven companies that come back into Halibut. Yes, yeah. We have uh, the Mi'kmaq Commercial Fisheries. We have a safety supply company. We have uh, a company called Eastern Door Logistics. It's a third-party shipping and, and brokerage and, and logistics company. Um, the property management company, as I said, uh, safety supplies, uh, project management company. And we have uh, a marine contractors joint partnership, which wound down this year, and that was a uh, working on a project connected to the Amira project. So yeah, we've had uh, we've had a great uh, great run so far in, in the last six seven years, and looking forward to uh, many more yes. runs to come. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's uh, let's talk about the urban reserve, uh, and there's been a lot of talk about that for for years. Um, tell the listeners what um, what an urban reserve uh, is. What is the the uh, the short definition of urban reserve? Urban reserves are actually reserves. The word urban reserve doesn't really exist in INAX world. It's just it's just an addition to a reserve, and it's a reserve where there's uh, business development as opposed to housing and, and infrastructure for for people to live. So you don't live on an urban reserve. Typically, it's it's developed, and, and our model is to develop it for economic development. That's where the companies that the band own and operate uh, will work out of, and that's where we can also attract other businesses to come and set up shop 
on the urban reserve, mm-hmm. much like an industrial park in, in yes. what we see. Now, uh, the fact that uh, that Halibut is a landless band, there is no reserve, so there's no reserve to add to. So you mentioned an industrial park. Is there, because of Halibut's uh, landless band status, uh, is there a step an extra step that we have to go through to get to urban reserve. There is a, there's a, a probably not a straightforward line. I don't know if there's an extra step, but it's just a it, the line needs to be more delineated with respect to how do we get there because the application itself is called an, an addition to reserve. So one would suppose that you'd have to have a reserve in order to add to it. So where we are landless, it does create a challenge in terms of interpretation and uh, how do we proceed. So that's where some of the conversations with the federal government have been so far. Yes. So the feds haven't said you can't have an urban reserve because you're a landless band. It's just uh, going through the the process that... Uh the extra process required. Right. In order to maintain consistency across applications, they have a rigorous process. So once once you come in and say, okay, we're landless and we want to add to our reserve, it causes you know, the bureaucratic machine to pause a little bit. So now how do we handle that? So that, that's that's a greater conversation right now. And that's that's a little bit of a hiccup as it were. But yes. that's yeah. So in terms of the, the current situation, I understand that the location has been decided on. It's on what uh, we call the Ring Road near the site of the, the new hospital. Right. Um, and do you, what, uh, what could we expect to be on the urban reserve once? It, is there going to be a gas station or office space? What, what do you see the, uh, the components? Well, once we've identified the land and we have identified a location, we haven't gotten gone to down the road of surveying and, and, and staking out exactly where we would like to see. But it's crown land on that on that side, the opposite side of the highway, up by the new hospital development is where we are looking at. Um, you would see uh, infrastructure has gone in first, so there's, there's you know curb stops, water sewage, that kind of thing. We had to prepare the land, then we have to uh, dry in some business opportunities. So we have our own businesses we'd like to move there. Um, potentially there could be office space, there could be uh, accommodations, hotels, that kind of thing could go there. Uh, given the adjacency to the hospital, that may be a, may be a good business opportunity. Um, warehousing, lay-down yards, uh, stores, retail opportunities. Uh, so we would look at partnering with any number of different chains to bring in different types of businesses to the, to the industrial park. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I can anticipate... Uh, uh, the city or maybe some businesses um, in uh, in Cornerbrook um, perhaps expressing com- some concern that uh, you're going to suck business away from other parts of the city. Um, the economy here is not that strong at the moment. Um, have you heard those concerns and what is your answer to them? Yes, we have. Yeah, we've heard those concerns. They are they are um, you know honest questions to ask. They're they're, they're a rational, quite logical question to ask. Um, what we have seen in our experience in the last seven years is there's a number of um, millions of dollars to the tune of twenty twenty one million dollars of uh, federal money of new revenue coming into the region because of Halvu uh, every year. So we see growth and opportunities in that respect. And what what we're going to see with an urban reserve is yeah, it's. I guess much like any box development, when, when when Murphy Square was first developed and all these large box stores started to come to town and set up shop, people were worried it would have a negative impact on the local retailers. Some local retailers that may have been marginal may not have been able to survive it, that were struggling a little bit or weren't as busy as, as others, maybe didn't survive that. Uh, but as a whole, 
Walmart coming to Cornwall has meant that we bring a lot of clients to Cornwall now. Two people drive from great distances to come to Cornwall to shop at Walmart, and they come downtown and, and support local businesses. So we would anticipate that the uh, any kind of an industrial park that Halibut would develop would have the same spin-off benefit as well to any businesses. And there's also supplying these these businesses and the industrial park from the business community that's around in the Cornwall area. So there's opportunities there on both sides. Yes. And so people will want to know about um, about taxes, and if you if uh, once the urban reserve is uh, is up and running, and you go there to fill up your car with gas, do you have to pay tax on what you buy on the urban reserve, assuming you have a status card? Right, and and I haven't gone down the road to get into uh, into the fine details and into the weeds, but my understanding at uh, reviewing the application and reviewing the process and what an urban reserves have done in other regions is, yeah, it's it's a fully functioning reserve except there's no homes, so you have uh, yeah any any purchases that are made on reserve if you're a, a card carrying member of of any First Nation, your status status. Indian, to use the terminology, the legal terminology, um, you're entitled to picking up that, that product without paying taxes. Yeah. So that would be a major uh, economic advantage that businesses on the urban reserve would have uh, compared to another business in Cornerbrook. So um, I guess if you're going to gas up, you're going to be going to the to the urban reserve if you have a card. Yeah, yeah, no, quite potentially the the gasoline, absolutely. Um, but as well, I mean, there's as we saw, as we see right now with the car dealerships, and, and we drive to Con River to uh, buy your your next vehicle. You could drive to Con River and you do a transfer, and you get your tax free there. And, and there's a legal way of doing that. So you could do the same thing on this urban reserve as well. So the car dealerships don't have to move to the reserve. Um, your your building supply stores, your your retail stores, retail chains, they don't necessarily have to set up shop on the reserve, but they can have a delivery depot. They can have a delivery station on, on the urban reserve hmm. where they can do transfers, and, and, and they do that in other jurisdictions. So you'll see in uh, uh, Member 2, and people that buy things in North Sydney then or in Sydney, they'll go to Member 2 to, to, to collect those products. I see. Very interesting. Um, now, uh, the city, uh, you have to... Uh, involve all levels of, of government to understand the the feds, the province, and the city. And the city, uh, I understand, you need to enter into a service agreement with the city because you uh, you won't be paying the businesses on the reserve won't be paying a property tax or a business tax per se, and you will have the service agreement, um, which the I guess the city would be the the signatory. Does the city have the power to? turn down um, the reserve or can it go in as of right? The city, I guess, in a lot of ways, I mean, it has to be a partnership. So, yeah, I think if the city was against us wanting to set up the uh, industrial park here in, uh, in in town, we'd have to take that very seriously. And we'd look at some other jurisdiction um, that might be interested. So, uh, But in terms of that... Um, we don't have to. We could set up shop on the highway, on a piece of crown land that was outside of municipal boundaries, and the city can't do anything about that. But that's counter. That's, that's counterintuitive, and it's nor is it beneficial to both parties. So we want to look at ways of being, you know, take a regional kind of an approach uh, as we need to because we have a regional uh, jurisdiction, we have a regional demographic, and um, we'd like to find ways of partnering with the city. You talked about the service agreements, and those are. Those are important because we don't want, I don't want, I have enough to do in the run of a day, let alone managing a fleet of um, vehicles clearing roads and, and doing water and sewer work and, and collecting.
collecting garbage and all those things. So if the city has that capacity and we can contract them to do that work on the on the urban reserve, on the industrial park, then that only helps both sides. That helps the city to retain some, generate some revenue, retain some revenue from this adventure, and then we can third party out, we can delegate out, we can contract out some of that work, and we don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So where do where do things stand now? You've you've decided on the location more or less, so that's uh, that's one step. And so what would be the the timelines and how do things unfold uh, from here to the day uh, the Irwin Reserve is up and running? We have a lot of uh, planning to do now. So now we're going to dig into uh, you know some detailed, robust uh, business planning, uh, conceptual designs, um, surveying. Uh, conversations with Crown Lands to determine which pieces and parcels of land have uh, set asides already on them. If somebody already has, um, you know, if there's some developer, you know, Cormac Paul Paper has uh, some right of use of right of access of that particular track of land, we'd have to talk about that, get that cleared first. So there's a, a number of things that the engineering and the planning stage here now will unearth for us. So that's going to be the next, that's the, the bulk of it. Once we, we the process, maybe I should back that off, I'm sorry, Glenn. The process would be normally one would put in an application, and then they would ask you for a number of follow-up things. This is what you need to go to the city to get. This is what you need to go to the province to get. What we're trying to do, and we're working uh, you know, working collaboratively here with this with this team approach, this, this committee approach, is that we're going to anticipate and get the information that we're going to need and have it available and in the package so that when we submit an application, it's actually the, everything they're going to want is already spread out in front of the uh, in front of INAC and in front of the government. Government of Canada, and the decision can be rendered more quickly at the end. We do more upfront work, and then the decision is uh, rendered more more quickly again in the end. Right. So this you're dealing with the feds, and the feds are are telling you which which hoops you have to go through. Mm-hmm. And um, so, do you have a sense of the timelines? Uh, how long it takes to get through this and um, have the place established? Uh, it takes a bit of time. It's usually a couple or three years to go through the application process. Um, the engineering and the and the uh, business plan development are going to be a critical part of that. So we're hoping to have that done through eighteen nineteen, and uh, and then we'll move forward on the application thereafter. Probably a couple more years beyond that. So I would say by. 2020, 2021, I'm hoping that we can be in the final stages and getting ready to oh. break ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess at this point you're you're dealing with things in-house, but uh, would you have to um, engage consultants and outside um, people to do some of the work on the design or the approvals process or those things? Sure. There will be engineers that we're going to have to work with, and there's uh, business plans, robust business plans, and a lot of uh, analysis of markets and business markets that we, we need to explore. There's uh, a number of over 600 uh, urban reserves that are in existence right now, so we would um, very much like to um, you know, go and visit maybe one or two of those to see how things work on those reserves, how they've managed to find their success and what, where they've, how they've found success, uh, you know, use some best practices that we can get there. And there's consulting firms that we can and have worked with in the past that we would like to work with as well. Um, one gentleman that we've talked to in the past around this particular initiative um, worked in the INEC world for years, actually did the applications on that side. So it has a you know a unique perspective and, and a unique ability to help us. So we're we're looking forward to that. Yes, I can anticipate that um, people in other parts of Alibu country will say, "Well, why is Cornerbrook getting it? Cornerbrook is everything. It has the band office, and now it's getting the urban reserve. What about Stephenville? 
What about, um, you know, essential? Uh, what about uh, gander? Um, have you heard that from uh, from your council members? Uh, is uh, do you expect um, resistance uh, from from that quarter? Not resistance. I will. I will expect lobbying. I will expect genuine enthusiasm about bringing this type of a concept to other parts of our territory, of our of our area. And uh, there's no reason why that can't happen. So maybe part of this, this discovery might be that we have one location in Cornwall. Can we look at a second location as a as a part of this application or a separate application? Or we don't, we don't know yet. The engine, the, the business plan, and the and the. Uh, the design work that goes into the business concept will kind of reveal that for us, and we can look at this process and say, what's the best way to go? Um, the reason we selected Cornwall is we went we went out and we te- and we talked to a few municipalities that we thought were um, kind of uh, of um, you know places where there was economic growth, places where there was economic growth potential. If there wasn't growth, there was potential. Um, places that were forward thinking. So we 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 talked to a half dozen municipalities, and we got some proposals and some ideas from from a couple, and. Um, we looked at Cornerbrook. Cornerbrook is uh, adjacent to the greatest population, and people hear that a lot. I know some members that live in, in, in regions far in, out east, you know, in central Newfoundland, are tired of hearing that, I know. But it's a reality that uh, Cornerbrook is close to, you know, Cornerbrook, the ward itself, has probably half of Halibut's population right now that are, that are connected to this one ward. So for that reason in and of itself, there's a, a dense population here. We're very close to the Stephenville Port of Port, St. George's wards within an hour's commute of all those wards, so we're very, very adjacent to that group of people as well. So if you look at all of that, where we're, Cornerbrook is ideally situated, and there's growth potential, there's opportunities for growth here. You know, Steve Mill is another good location. Uh, so there's just growth potential in those uh, municipalities. So we wanted to, to grab one that we thought we could work with and work it through. Yes. So maybe this is the first of several. If the business model kind of lends itself there, and we can and we can move through it, and there's an appetite and a willingness with the province and with the federal government to look at that, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't preclude anything. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's not how we operate, and and we do try very hard within the Halibut to take a regional approach. Um, we have a, you know a director. Uh, in our education program that's out in St. George's. We have a large office out there. We have offices in, in cent- two different office buildings in Central. So I am very much a fan of, of uh, decentralizing uh, how we don't do things. And I, and I push that envelope whenever I can at the management meetings and I want my team to be thinking about mm. how can we do things regionally. Yes. Well, the, thanks, Keith, uh, for telling us about that. I'm, I'm sure listeners will be uh, uh, interested in that. And maybe we're about five years away from uh, tax-free uh, gas on an urban reserve in uh, Cornerbrook. So uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, uh, in touch to see how things unfold. So Absolutely. Thanks, thanks very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Keith Golding, band manager for the Halibut First Nation. And that's it for the show. Thanks to Cody Gardner here at Bay of Islands Radio. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Listen on The Voice of Bombay in Norris Point and Rocky Harbor and in St. John's. Catch us on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.